0: Mark Graben and Jamie Flinchball are two guys drinking whiskey while chatting about lean ideas, experiences, and news. Let's hope they hold their liquor because they're not holding back on sharing their opinions. It's time for Lean Whiskey, Lean Talk with a Fun Spirit.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome Talene Whiskey. It's episode 29. I'm Mark Raven, and we are joined by Jamie Flinchball. Glad to see you again. Jamie, good to see you again. For those who are listening and not watching, like Jamie's got this big martini glass um, filling up half the frame in the video. If you go <laughs> over to YouTube, you can
0: see what he's
1: drinking and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, right?
0: That's right. You'll uh and it won't fill a screen for very long, so I'll uh, take care of that.
1: It, it's it's like forced perspective. It looks like it's a huge sixteen ounce cocktail,
0: which is probably not the case. It's not the case. It's a standard martini glass. So, <laughs> okay. uh, um, but yes, just where the camera is, it, it looks quite big. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um. So we're gonna before we get into different topics today, we're gonna catch up just a little bit here. We didn't record last month. You know, it's summertime. What what have you been up to here over the summer, Jamie?
0: Well, uh, all sorts of things, but uh, especially with you know daughter home from college, etc. But but uh, probably the biggest new thing, um, I retired from coaching soccer in in early June and um, decided to get my ref, referees license hmm. um, for for soccer, and I actually start start uh, some games uh, this week, um, a couple of days from now, so. Um, it's, it, you know, it's, it, we'll see. It's an experiment. I don't know if I'll enjoy it. I think I will. Mm-hmm. Um, they the all questions around people's manners and how much that bugs me or doesn't bug me. Um, but there's a shortage um, of, of referees, uh, mostly because of uh, parent and coach behaviors. Mm. Um, but, you know, to me, it's, it's, you're still part of the sport. You can, you can leave it behind when you leave the field and uh, y- you technically get paid exercise, which is <laughs> um, <laughs> if you do it right, at least. Uh, so, uh, so it's my my experiment, just uh, just underway. So, when's your first game gonna be? First match. Uh, first match is Tuesday, so two days okay. from our recording today. So actually, yeah. uh, before uh, it will have already happened by the time the recording is released. So, uh, so we'll see. Um, see how we like it. <laughs> well. Follow up on that
1: next time. Like, do you get a standard issue yellow card and red card, and and not, how quickly are you are are, are you going to use any of those? I wonder.
0: Well, so it's not standard issue. You got to buy your own stuff. So I have <laughs> yeah. you know flags and cards and coins and and uh, whistles and 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 you know three uniform shirts because you got to have different colors. Um, but but honestly, I believe uh, that that especially at the younger ages. Um, people hold back from giving yellow cards too too much and and kids don't learn how to receive the the feedback of what's called a <laughs> caution it's all it is it's a caution mm-hmm. there's like literally no real consequence to it unless you get a second one unless you don't yeah. change your behavior so um, to me it's a great lesson i i i i will probably be not prolific but i'll probably <laughs> definitely be on on one end of the bell curve of giving out at least yellow cards. I, I certainly don't, once you have to give out a red, it's, it's gone too far, but, uh, but hoping to, you know, use the yellow cards uh, smartly.
1: So, but if they complain, if they don't take the feedback of the yellow card, well, does the second card, yellow card, that, that means red card and, uh, that means, that means,
0: yep, that means red card. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a learning, it's a learning opportunity the way yeah. I see it and they can, Take the learning opportunity or not take the learning opportunity yeah.
1: <laughs> but th- this does not involve the lean concept of visual management where like you stick the
0: card to to the player and then you can see running around well, now kids get a yellow <laughs> no you got to you gotta write it down and you got to kind of remember <laughs> who you get it gave it to but uh, uh there is a right way to give a yellow card and uh and 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 part of it is to make sure everybody sees that that it did in fact happen so nobody's surprised later on yeah yeah so there's a protocol there's standard work for there is, there is standard work. There's a lot of standard work in, in referees, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for, uh, for everything from how signals work to, uh, uh, to the rules, of course, the, or the laws of the game, uh, themselves, but, uh, including how you properly hold a yellow card. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it's meant to be clear signal. It's not meant to be antagonistic. Yeah. It's, um,
1: it's not the the Japanese hand it with two hands protocol. It's a different protocol, I assume.
0: No, there's no bowing <laughs> involved.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe if it was a, a Japanese team, but that's probably not. Yeah, what,
0: haven't seen haven't seen that either. So they will follow yeah. the the standard rules. I, so that's that's my fun. Well, cool. um, I, well, so what I about just, you? What's well, what's what's new with you?
1: Well, I, I, well it'll be a follow up from previous discussions. Um, what I'm going to share, but I was just also going to add. Like when I was a teenager, I mean, I was really into baseball, and so one of my teenage part-time jobs over the summers was uh, umpiring younger uh, little league baseball and some softball. I remember that being a challenge because, like, when 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 kids are so young, like screwy things happen. Like, you've got to get oh, into yeah. the rule book about kids running past other kids and three of them interfering with the shortstop at the same time. And like, there are things that you would not normally see in a major league game.
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's true. There's, and there's some extra rules that, that sometimes get inserted Mm -hmm. for various reasons. Uh, uh, usually for player development, sometimes for player safety. And you've got to, uh, you've got to keep track of those and make sure it's like, okay, what, what age am I, am I repping at this point? And and what are those rules? So, so, um, uh, yeah, it, it it can get, you know, and, and really when you're coaching at a younger age, it's, you're really part, uh, you're really part coach, part ref. You're, Mm -hmm. you're there for player safety, uh, but you're not, you know, enforcing the rules with the strictest of intent is, is less important than making sure the game goes smoothly. So, um, you know, nobody's getting a scholarship at five uh, at, yeah. at or at, four, at nine. So, uh, um, and nobody will remember who won that game. You know, people think they will, but in the end, they really won't. I, I in my head, uh, you know, I will make mistakes. I will make fewer mistakes than most of the other people on the field. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I won't really be the reason that the game ended one way or the other.
1: So. Yeah. Well, maybe we can do an episode of My Favorite Mistake after a
0: year of refereeing i'll probably have probably have several of them and uh you know half of referee training is learning how to let him go right Because that's the thing it's done it's done and dusted nothing you can yeah. do about it can't really make up for it and in the end you're, you're you know the, the role is even if you know you made a mistake it's final you made them hmm. you made the decision you don't you don't go back and re-referee the match so yeah
1: well, so one uh, uh, final question about the refereeing. I mean, do you believe in the concept of makeup calls? You've made a mistake and then you, mm, no,
0: nope, I, I, I don't, um, you know, because you'll make that's a mistake you recognize and it ignores the premise that, that you've recognized all your mistakes. So mm-hmm. you're going to make mistakes both ways. Most of them are inconsequential. Uh, like most throw-ins people will complain about which direction the throw-in goes, but, but the majority of throw-ins change possession within seconds. Um, So So what's what's the big deal? So, yeah, the premise is, well, I recognize that I made that mistake, so I need to make up for it. Well, there's probably lots of mistakes you didn't recognize, so uh, you'll over-index in one way. So, you know, mistakes are part of it. And, again, it's up to the players to play those conditions.
1: Makes sense. Okay. So back to your question. So the one, one thing uh, that's new, a couple episodes we had talked about how I was studying for a certification called the WSET Level 2 Spirit Certification. Last time mm-hmm. I had taken the test and I was waiting for results that they said would take nine to 12 weeks for <laughs> the grading of an electronic test. But Jamie already knows this, but to share for the audience, I passed. I reached my goal of passing with distinction. Uh, so that's an official category. That would have meant 75% or getting 38 of the 50 uh, multiple choice questions correct. Um, I, I got a 100%. I aced it.
0: Very good. Uh, my, my, uh, my ability to remember facts and figures um, that I don't actually use is, is pretty limited. So I highly doubt I could do that. Um, but, uh, but a hundred percent, uh, is, is, is pretty cool. Uh, the, the designation with distinction just sounds neat. Um, yeah, it says so on the certificate for what that's worth. Right? Then. That's, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to
1: show this is, um, Ooh, the pin, the autofocus isn't cooperating, uh, but no, but that's the lapel
0: pin. I can tell uh, she's holding up a glass and
1: a, a lapel pin. I think she's, um, the character on the pin is holding a wine glass because WSET primarily does wine certifications, right. but, um, yep. but yeah, so, I mean, it was a, a pandemic, fu- I'm going to put it on. Um, it was a pandemic fun. I haven't worn it yet. Um, you know, it was a pandemic fun thing. And I thought, well, if I'm going to spend a couple hundred dollars and invest the time into it, I mean, I'm competitive and driven enough of like, well, <laughs> I certainly wasn't going to do it to fail.
0: And, uh, um, right. so yeah, I'm a little pick. Very cool. Well, congratulations. Thank um, thank you. Have you, uh, uh, have people started asking you questions that, uh, um, you know, extra questions, uh, like, Hey, my bartender did this or what, how do I make this? Or <laughs> have, they, have you started getting all the questions that come with being, being special? <laughs>
1: um, no, but I, I do have friends that, you know, other friends I enjoy talking about, um, spirits with, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not gonna try not to be that guy who's butting in with, uh, superfluous facts or, or information. <laughs> I still think it's mainly, you know, spirits or today we're going to talk about cocktails. Um, it's, it's for enjoyment and, you know, I think it's fun to do some learning about the process and what it is you're drinking and where it comes from and how it's made. I just, I think that's interesting too.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's, that's, uh, very interesting. I, I, I finished the, uh, coffee Atlas, uh, the over, over vacation, which was a fun book, Fun book to read, and um, yeah, it's just it's just interesting to see how how all that stuff comes together, especially if you enjoy the, the final product, as we're yeah. often here to talk about. So, so speaking of coming together,
1: a cocktail comes together. Yes,
0: a, a cocktail. So uh, we we haven't done much of that. I, I think we've done maybe one episode with cocktails mm-hmm. before, but but this was with a special uh, special theme. Um, uh, and and that was coffee and whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um obviously stolen whiskey. Um but uh in our in our episode 27, uh we we actually switched to coffee. Uh we did our favorite pour over. Um in fact, I remember sitting we did it in the morning, so yeah. I, I sat outside yeah. um or it was nice and um, and so now we're kind of taking that theme weaving it back in and doing our favorite coffee whiskey cocktail yeah so um well i'll say favorite um it's not like i have five. Oh yeah <laughs> we're this learning is my favorite sure. we're learning so this is an experiment but this this is an experiment i did about a month ago really enjoyed it uh it, it probably made it a, a three times since and uh only one at a you know it's not like a uh You want to go through the process, but definitely, um, yeah, not my favorite in the sense that I've tried a whole bunch and this is what I've settled on. But I I do enjoy it.
1: Yeah. So what is it? You haven't
0: told the audience yet. So we have not. So this is, as you can see in the martini glass, this is a espresso martini, um, and and it's specifically a whiskey espresso martini. Mm -hmm. Um, So the the normal recipe, as you just get an espresso martini, is usually vodka. Uh, some people use gin, but uh, so equal parts, you know, vodka, Kalua, and freshly made espresso. Um, I, I found a recipe that said, called it an Irish uh, espresso martini by specifically putting in Jameson, yeah. uh, which which I, A, I didn't have, and B, don't care that it's Irish whiskey. So I guess it's really just a whiskey espresso. And what uh, whiskey did you use? I used uh, Town Branch. Um, almost had to. I almost forgot uh, yeah. what I used because I, when I was making it, I realized I hadn't hadn't thought through what I wanted to use in that particular moment. Mm-hmm. But um, I used Town Branch, which is a uh, uh, you know place I've actually visited. I've been to uh, their distillery in Lexington, and oh. uh, enjoy it. Um, but I, these days, I probably use it more for for mixing. Yeah. Um, but you, you pull a, a fresh espresso shot. Um, uh, put that in your mixer. No, uh,
1: you you have a new espresso machine as well,
0: right? I have a new espresso machine. It's uh, from ECM, which is a German company. Uh, it's it's uh, it's it's kind of like certain cars. It's it's much less forgiving, but <laughs> if you dial it in right, it's much better. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this is,
1: this is not a single, this is on a push button pod. You don't. There's, maker.
0: there's, there's buttons, but there's yeah. multiple buttons and uh, yeah, you don't just throw in some beans and, and hit go. Um, this is uh, uh, you know, the pressure is provided from the puck. Uh, so you've got to get the grind, right. You've got to get the tamp, right. The leveling, right. Uh, um, and uh, the pressure, right. And all, all of that, you get the timing, right. Uh, use fresh beans really makes a huge difference and get, you know, get that good crema, which is actually interestingly sort of matched with the, the, the cream on top of this espresso Mm -hmm. martini. So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, I've been as definitely, like I said, less forgiving, uh, easy to make mistakes and have, have, you know, do a poor job, but fun to dial in fun to dial in. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, made a shot with that, um, I have some espresso bean uh, blends from Whole Latte Love, uh, which is also where I bought the machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, so basically, two ounces of, of espresso, two ounces of Kahlua, and then two ounces of Town and Branch Bourbon. And then uh, I don't think I can tilt it properly for this camera, but uh, yeah, no, it's not going to work. But you put uh, three coffee beans float on top for good luck. Um, well, as you get further,
1: as you get further into that drink, maybe you can, um,
0: maybe you can see show the us pieces. later.
1: Yeah. So you can play around with different whiskeys, different um, espresso blends. Um, when we talk about my cocktail, I mean, there's, there's a variable of different coffee liqueurs because Kahlua and mm. I tasted some clue the other day. I'll, I'll mention when I talk about my cocktail, a clue is kind of a, coffee vanilla chocolatey blend wouldn't you say
0: yeah i mean it's specifically rum and coffee liqueur right um Mm -hmm. so uh so it's already uh kind of like trambouille or something like that there's already some base of the 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 core uh uh, liquor in there in that case rum Mm -hmm. um and and you know i don't I don't really love going out and buying a bottle of something just to try one cocktail. So, Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, the recipe recipe calls for that. Um, you know, I think you put an espresso and a, and a full on coffee liqueur in here, it's going to be really heavy on the, on the coffee. It it already is as you know, I'm actually kind of curious a bit how much changing the bourbon in this really is going to matter. Um, you know, it's it definitely tastes. I've had a I've had this drink with with vodka before. I can't remember where or when, but it, you can definitely tell it's a bourbon drink or a, okay. a whiskey drink. But um, but I'm not sure with all the coffee notes, I'm not sure, sure the sure. subtleness of any any particular whiskey is really going to come through.
1: Yeah, you're not going to use an expensive whiskey in a cocktail uh, like that. I bet. And well, you know, the good thing about Kluuva, no. like if listeners want to experiment. Uh, you can buy Kahlua very readily in the mini bottles. So right. you can do a small test of change and see if you like it.
0: Absolutely. And, and, uh, and, and you don't, you know, it will make a difference, but, uh, you don't need, you know, a, a fresh, you do need a fresh espresso <laughs> shot, but you know, you don't need one from a high-end machine. I think any, any old espresso shot will help you make this drink, but, um, but I, 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 I think I, I can tell that this is a, a good shot of espresso in the, in the martini. So, um, yeah. a fun drink to make. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's got this froth on top and that, that allows the beans to float. And it, it, it looks nice and it's, it's fun. It's fun to drink. Great, great texture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do really enjoy this, but like I said, I've, I've never had an evening where I said, Oh, let me go make another one. So yeah. Yeah. It's rich. Right.
1: And it's, 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 it's a big rich. drink too. It's say six ounces of uh, liquid.
0: Yeah. So that's six ounces great. of liquid. And, and uh, you know, in this, I, I still don't quite fully get the martini glass. It's not, <laughs> there's not a lot of, this is not the easiest glass to, yeah. to carry around or sip out yeah. of or anything else, well, but well,
1: and, and, and that drink does, pack a punch because Kalua. I just Googled it. I think is the, I think the standard Kahlua is 20% okay. alcohol by volume. There is a higher proof version of it, but yeah, the standard. So 20%, I mean, that's, I mean, like any mixer, but you know, so that, that drink does pack a punch.
0: Great. So I'll enjoy it. I'm um, just a few sips in, but um, i and and I'll I'll just add I did chill the, the glass uh, before before making it just uh, a little ex- not not usually me thinking that far ahead but I did yeah. I did give that a shot for the first time so um, outside a little humid definitely a lot of condensation but it's it's yeah. a nice touch so okay
1: I'll, so what are you what are you making uh, well I'll I'll talk process a little bit and product um, so when Jamie and I have done cocktail episodes we we try to be more careful about the timing because you don't want a cocktail sitting there getting warm and getting diluted and what's the timing so i um i'll talk about my drink and how i did some pdsa experiments um the last couple of days so i'll call this also a pdsa cocktail but um, i'm drinking it in um you know a rocks glass with a a big uh, ice ball so the base recipe when I was in for different coffee drinks. So uh, the cocktail is called a revolver. And the base recipe would be two ounces of bourbon or uh, rye. Some recipes call for a high rye bourbon. Half Mm -hmm. ounce of coffee liqueur. A lot of people would use um, Kahlua. And then um, orange bitters. What I started playing around with, I'm calling this a Texas revolver because uh, there are some Texas ingredients. I am using... Uh, a Garrison Brothers high rye bourbon, which is one of their special releases from the past year. So it's still a bourbon, but the rye, like normally Garrison Brothers does a wheated bourbon. And this, instead of wheat, has a good amount of rye um, in the mash bill. And then instead of Kahlua, um, I went for an Austin product from Austin, Texas, um, a local distillery. I'd heard about this. It's called Cafe Del Fuego Reserve. It says true coffee liqueur. Um, So it was about 25 Um, bucks. What makes it their reserve? They've got a Cafe Del Fuego um, that they say is a little bit sweeter. It's um, 20% alcohol by volume. It might be closer to Kahlua. I've never tasted it. This one is 30% ABV. And as it says on the label, um, it's, it's less sweet. It's less vanilla. So like this is something like to me, Kahlua on its own would be really too sweet. To drink this, yeah. I, I could imagine pouring over some ice and sort of drinking okay. it as a dessert. It's just very mildly sweet. So the PDSA cycles I went through, I started with two ounces of the Garrison Brothers, um, half ounce of the, the Cafe del Fuego, and some orange bitters. And so I tasted it. I'm like, well, it's like it's supposed to be a variation on a Manhattan. So instead of sweet vermouth, we're using um, coffee liqueur. It was it was missing a little something. And so, because there's the orange bitters, I put in just a quarter ounce of uh, an orange liqueur have been playing around with called dry curacao. So, it's basically mm-hmm. a less sweet version of a Cointreau or a trip, in, right. any triple sec. So, dry meaning, you know, it's uh, a little bit less sweet. And then I added three dashes of um, coffee bitters. And so, it's not a purely Texas drink anymore. Like the coffee bitters are from Australia. Uh, this is a French dry Curaçao. Um, right. So it's, it's an international cocktail, but I, I, you know, with the, with the playing around um, over the last couple of days and sharing tastes with uh, my wife and mother-in-law, like, I think, yeah, I think this is the recipe I would go with and we'll put that in the show notes. we we'll call it uh, the Texas
0: revolver, Texas revolver. So is this, is this the first drink that you have, you have named? first recipe that i think that, so
1: and 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 i haven't googled that somebody else has probably already called a drink the texas revolver uh, i'm well, not a gun it, guy it but it's a fitting name
0: it's a fitting name right so it's it's uh yeah an interesting uh i don't know why you know why revolver but i don't really know yeah. why why most names for you know yeah, yeah. for drinks and and um but, but yeah, using the Texas ingredients and, and calling it a Texas revolver, you know, really works. And, um, you know, adding a couple extra ingredients. So, um, so I'm guessing it's not, not a very sweet. I mean, between the high rye all the way right. through the, the, the dry curacao, uh, it's probably not a very sweet drink.
1: It's, it's, um, with the bitters and, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's in the boozy category of like spirit forward. Uh, yeah. cocktails i did make a version the other day with um kind of an inexpensive whiskey and Kahlua and bitters it's a, it you know it's a different drink yeah there's more of that sweetness and vanilla and so a lot of it's just a matter of um, palate and tastes and what you're in the mood for if i wanted something less spicy uh and, and, and sweeter I, I would go for Kahlua instead of this uh, cafe del fuego
0: right yeah that's where it that's where it works. So, um, uh, and, and interesting, just, you know, the, the, the bourbon I have isn't super sweet and, mm-hmm. uh, is definitely a sweeter, a sweeter cocktail, but even just with the, the heaviness of the espresso itself, it's not, yeah. not super sweet. So.
1: And, you know, it's summertime. So maybe in the winter, I would want something richer or heavier or what have you. But, um, but then process wise, you know, I stirred the cocktail and then I, I do have this double walled insulated shaker that I basically just used as my booze thermos to keep <laughs> it, to keep it kind of cool, uh, for the 15 minutes. And then putting it on, on the ice ball. Um, there we go.
0: That's, that's nice. Yeah. My Mine had, had to be made, uh uh, made fresh. So, uh, you know, the timing had to be worked out well and, and we're yeah. not going to hit pause and go make a second drink. So, no. so we might as well mention, we, we did plan, uh, we'd plan a, a second drink, uh, uh, that, that at least keeps with a the theme. And that's, <laughs> right. uh, uh, David Meyer's cafe away. Yeah. Um, which, which is one of their bourbons and, uh, uh, you know, it's, as they say, you know, notes of coffee and chocolate. Um, and you know, since we've both been there, I've 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 actually smelled the grains that go into this. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. it's it's coffee forward. Obviously, the name Cafe Ole yeah. supports that as well. So when yeah. we are ready, we'll uh, each uh, be pouring some of that.
1: Yeah, uh, for listeners who who can't see the bottle, Cafe Ole O L E, more of a, a Spanish flair than the Ole French.
0: Yep. spelling. but quite but. quite a not an easy drinking uh, bourbon. Um, mm-hmm. there's a, it's a, it's a mouthful. It's, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of flavor there. It's, there's some heat there. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, heavy That's on the good. proof, 110 proof. So, um, uh, actually close to 111 proof, but, uh, yeah, you know, a lot of heat, a lot of flavor, a lot of flavor. A lot of flavor, very rich, not, you know, it's a sipping bourbon, but, uh, but a really good one. It's one of yeah. my favorites for sure.
1: Yeah. So we did, so giving a bit of a preview here now that we've talked about, uh, our cocktails and we're sipping a little bit, um, Jamie and I are going to do a, a version of in the news. We're going to talk about some articles and we're going to do it lightning round style. So it's kind of like a lean coffee format. We're going to set five minute timers. And plow through what, like six articles?
0: Uh, uh, is, several articles, but we'll, you know, giving our tendency to meander and, and wander. We'll <laughs> see, yeah. we'll see how we do. Yeah. Um, but 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 uh, instead of just a single article that we go off, you know, off the rails for super deep on, we'll we'll see how that uh, 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 see how that goes, and just you know, a bunch of different articles without even a theme. I mean, really this is just a whole bunch of different stuff that we grabbed and, you know, wanted to talk about a little bit. Um, but before we, we, we get there, uh, to the, to the lightning round, um, you had mentioned you had a new, uh, a new, or at least more recent <laughs> favorite mistake.
1: Yeah, it's not a favorite mistake. I'm still kind of hurting, uh, about it a little bit, but it's, <laughs> okay. it's, it's a recent one. So like last time we talked about mistakes Um, you know, kind of whiskey industry mistake stories and personal mistakes. We're doing a bit of a a shout out to another podcast I do called my favorite mistake.
0: And we we had, we had some fun with that one.
1: And I'm going to plug that a little bit because David, this is coming together nicely. David Meyer, the maker of cafe O'Lay, was actually my guest on episode 94 uh, released very recently. And so David talks about his background at Toyota What it was like making mistakes, dealing with Mm -hmm. mistakes, building a culture where, you know, uh, he used the phrase that we've, listeners have probably heard a lot, be hard on the process, not on the people. And then he talks about mistakes from uh, distilling and um, the liquor industry. So I hope people will check that out. My favorite mistake episode 94. And so Jamie doesn't know the story. And so, you know, he, he, there's an opportunity. I don't know all the answers to the background, but he can sort of play lean coach and, and there are some process related things we could talk about. Um, so, and and, and I, I tell the story with all the love in my heart for our friends at Garrison Brothers. Um, my wife and I have been members of a program they have called the Old 300, where it's basically a membership. You get to come to an annual event and you 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 get some special perks and privileges and you're supposed to be a friend and an ambassador um, for the company and and the product in different ways. And so with that program, uh, my wife and I were able to fill a barrel at an event seven years ago this September called uh, Bourbon Camp. And so then we had, as as some liquor laws actually changed, thankfully in the state of Texas, we would have the opportunity to bottle and buy contents of said barrel that we had filled and signed our names to and had patiently waited for. So like after five years, we got to taste it. We thought it's pretty good. It wasn't overaged. Um, talking with the master distiller, Donis Todd, we said, OK, let's let it go another year. We'll bottle it next year. It'll probably be a little bit better, was his professional judgment. Then COVID happened, and there was no bourbon camp last year. So mm-hmm. that meant it's now, it was going to hold and be right on the verge of being a seven-year bourbon. And so we were hoping to bottle it when we go there at the uh, the end of the month. And unfortunately, the news I heard back and and I had had this weird intuition, like somehow maybe the barrel accidentally got dumped into a blend, like they had sort of lost track or they're they're putting out a lot of bourbon these days. Sales are great. Process problems happen. The story I woke up to the other day and Dan and Donis were on an episode of My Favorite Mistakes, so I don't think they would murder me for uh, telling (laughs) a story about about mistakes um, Donis fessed up to it, as they say their culture is of fessing up to mistakes. The story I woke up to in the email is that you know Donis was going to pull our barrel to get it ready. That meant moving a lot of other barrels. There was a six hundred pound French oak barrel that somehow fell. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, except our barrel was smashed by wow. the large six hundred pound French oak barrel. And like that, seven years of waiting, the whiskey is now draining into the floor. It's, right. it, was, it was gone. And so we went through the stages of grief over that, of course. And um, we're, we're still trying to figure out, we may bottle and purchase the barrel that had the, the number one previous to ours. So Meaning it was distilled in the same batch. It was filled right before ours. It was stored right next to ours. So the only difference between that bourbon and the one that we thought we were waiting for would be due to any small variation in the barrel. Right. Um, So we may buy it. And like when you get to do a custom label, I think I'm going to call it one off (laughs) because it is a one off single barrel that will never be recreated. And yeah, the number is one off n minus
0: one n -N 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 -N
1: -N 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 minus one. Well, that's sad. It was it was a little crushing, pun yeah. intended. Um, now we may also ask them, like the alternative that might be an or, or maybe an and. We've been this patient this long. Um, we may fill a new barrel and wait another four or five years.
0: Sure. Well, it's it's yeah. I mean, you you uh, you know decided to wait the extra year it's, it turned into two. You know, it is uh, obviously barrel aging. Is also affected by temperature, uh-huh. and you know, and I, I don't know if we talked about this with Garrison uh, on our episode, but just the Texas heat, right, right. is going to do something different to a barrel than it ages uh,
1: faster than other. It, it places. ages
0: faster, and then you also have you know, as, as, as anyone who ever watched news, the the Texas freeze mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, going the other direction, which no facilities are really fully prepared for. So no. Now. You put all that together and those barrels go through quite a bit, in a, in a mm-hmm. short period of time. So, so maybe you don't have to wait, you know, seven years, um, you know, maybe it's only three or four, uh, you know, the one off the N minus one, uh, sir, yeah. you know, uh, options, right. To consider, but it is one of those things, where, you know, for them it's, uh, it's, you know, there's, there's going to be some loss, right. There's, you know, you fill a barrel, you lose some, some of the juice, uh, as you're putting it in bottles, uh, you know, you taste stuff along well, the way, obviously that's yield loss. Um, you, you break a barrel. Okay. That's, that's sad as a, there's a bunch of as percentage of whiskey down the drain, but, but they have many barrels, right? This was your barrel. And so I, 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 I can feel you. I, we, that's a, that's a tough one. We,
1: we, and they were going to give us other alternatives and we weren't looking to buy a barrel. Like it was, it's we're, we're buying the story behind that particular barrel for what that's worth. But I think that, that, that was worth um, something. So, you know, I'll, I'll give, you know, I, again, I, I'll give Dan and Donos all the credit in the world. They fessed up to it. They apologized. They could have lied. And part of me was like, well, they could have said, well, the barrel was a leaker because this happens. They could have taken that next barrel. They could have ref. I mean, they, they, they could have concocted a story where we would have never known, but that, that's not their character. That's not,
0: yeah. Nah, their
1: style—it's
0: it's not worth it. It's not a uh, uh, you know a forty-seven-page contract either. So it's it's not not worth it to to it, tiptoe down that lane. So
1: it, it's it's not dropping a patient off the operating room table. It's not no.
0: <laughs> it's financial
1: harm to them because now that product is gone. So I'm sure that's right. They're not happy, but
0: no. So that's, that's too bad. Um, You know, you'll, you'll still always have the story though. Um, The story (laughs) um, changed. Yeah. The story changed, but you got a beginning and an end. Uh, You might not have any whiskey right now, but uh, you you definitely have a story. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: And I'll, uh, I'll find a way next time we cross paths in person, if we end up bottling and buying that barrel, I'll give, I'll give you one, Jamie.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll, some point we're going to have to do a, an in-person lean whiskey or, or at least just a, a an in-person whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So um, I, I won't pressure you into, cause again, I wouldn't know what the answers to this are, but when you think of, you know, an incident like that, you know, if we were lean staff at a distillery or consulting, like, you know, there would be things to talk about, like, you know, root causes and, and you know, where, what, how did the barrel fall? What are the safety risks and implications to, how the process could change. Like Jamie, would, would, would you
0: start in a three if
1: you were working with them
0: or. You know, this would be, this would be interesting. And, and I don't really, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I'm, I'm not tool agnostic. Uh, I'm, I'm not that picky about, you know, what tool people use uh, in in the end, but, but I, I think if it was just a barrel, I would say, Hey, Take a look at what happened, go do some direct observation, give me, give me a five Y or something, try to get some root cause and give me an answer. I think the fact that it affected a customer, Hmm. I might have asked for something more thorough, right? Because it wasn't just, you know, the barrel dropping, it was that barrel dropping, right? And 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 so, you know, it's there's also something (laughs) to why, why did you have to move other barrels? and, Mm -hmm. And do we, should we? Uh, care for those barrels differently uh, where customers have, you know, have their names on it and are expecting the the right after seven years to, Mm -hmm. to bottle it. Should we take care of those differently? If we do take care of them differently, Mm -hmm. do they end up tasting different? There's a lot to, to that analysis, but, but I would say that, you know, because it was a customer's barrel, I probably would have asked for more than just, just a, a, a quick direct observation. Yeah. Um, but that would probably be the reason.
1: Yeah. And and, and we're, you know, uh, we're, we're not at the Gemba. So I don't want to speculate too much. Right. Um, and, you know, first things first, again, like I'm glad nobody got hurt. I'm glad Donis didn't get hurt. Um, I do appreciate that they are open and honest about mistakes. You know, I tried to react, you know, when when people share mistakes in the workplace, like I know it wasn't intentional, like I didn't I, like I said, I was going through stages of grief, but there was no point in me getting angry at them. You know, I'm empathetic to where they have a loss here. Right. You know, I know they didn't intend on doing it. I know. You know, so um, you know, I think we can react to situations like this um, hopefully with some grace. And, and again, I think me telling the story in a public way here is kind of just following the example of Don and D- Don, um, blah. Dan and Donis. Um, sharing mistakes and being open about that internally and, and, and publicly and, you know, look, you know, things happen.
0: Yeah. And in the context, you know, a year from now, the story will still exist, but the, the, the mood won't, uh, the grief will be gone. Right. So, uh, you know, and and I was just whiskey.
1: (laughs) It's just whiskey. I was reflecting like, you know, if that's the worst thing that's happened to me that this week, uh, then I'm, I'm blessed to have a charmed life. I mean, I was, I lost my voice. I was sick for a couple of days. I tested negative for COVID. So thankfully um, COVID wasn't the worst thing that happened to me this week. Losing my voice for a couple of days was the worst. That's, thing,
0: that's, but. that's hard. I'm not sure how, uh, how to get through, get through that. That would just be, <laughs> I'm just going to check out for the week and, and yeah. not even try, but, uh, Cause
1: a couple of short meetings on Tuesday, I subjected, I apologize to them for subjecting them. My voice sounded pretty croaky and awful, <laughs> So I apologize.
0: All right. All right you wanna well, do
1: lightning round? Yeah, let's let's jump can, in. Um can, so why can why we you... see can we see the beans in the top of your glass first? Can you tell that? I see a them now. Bit? They're now they're, they're covering
0: some foam. So uh, okay. they're, oh, oh, they're still oh, oh, in there. Uh, whoops. Yeah, it's just uh that's just a few drops, but okay. um yeah, they're they're now they've now been absorbed by the foam. So uh yeah,
1: they're lost in the foam. All
0: right. They are lost in the foam. All right. But that also means it's time for me to
1: you, you can pour, pour some, some cafe, cafe away, away while I'm uh, introducing this segment. So we're going to do kind of a lightning round version of In the News. I am using the new Zoom app called Timer, which is a timer. And I'm going <laughs> to set a five-minute timer. Um, the first story is one that uh, Jamie brought to the discussion. We've both read these. And like our, our point here is not to do a point-by-point point review of the article, but to use the topic – um, as a starting point. So the headline of this article, this was from Reuters, more U.S. companies tie CEO pay to diversity metrics, says a study. So Jamie, I'll let you take the lead
0: here. Yeah. So, you know, obviously the, the idea is, you know, how many things uh, can we uh, incentivize executives, and in this case, specifically CEOs to, to do better at, right? Uh, just even even the the task of aligning CEO pay to uh, to shareholder interest isn't straightforward. It's it's complicated. It's, you know, we kind of say, well, you know, give them shares, and then their their incentives are aligned. But uh, you've even seen not not one of our stories, but uh, I believe the SEC came out about uh, some of the shareholder uh, selling plans, which are meant to protect from insider saving, uh, uh, ins- insider it. trading. Mm-hmm are 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 weak and so they're proposing maybe maybe re-looking at those so you know it's it's a complicated field getting these incentives right getting pay right for uh but the the trend is uh for a bunch of things how do we how do we put some of these uh, other variables into ceo pay and this is really around diversity mm-hmm. um so so i think you know just on the surface um it it just immediately, not, not the article, but the fact that you've done it, um, makes a statement, right? It, it elevates the importance of it, not as a nice to have, as long as it doesn't interfere with the business or as long as you don't think it interferes with the business, but this is actually important enough to pay you on, on that, on that factor. So I, I think that's a good start. Now, um, The other thing I'll say right out of right off the bat is that, um, you know, diversity, you know, we we refer to diversity often these days as DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion. It goes beyond diversity. Yeah, it goes beyond diversity. Uh, The whole idea is that and a a favorite uh, illustrative quote that uh, I heard actually at an ACD uh, event years ago was from uh, General Lester Lyles, who's a former air force general. Um, and I don't know if he still is currently the chair of the board of USAA or or Mm -hmm. was at the time, he was at the time, but he said diversity without inclusion is just an illusion. Mm -hmm. And, and what he was getting at is like, you hire a bunch of people in underrepresented classes, but they're not really involved. They're not really included in the Decision making, day to day work, the cool so then, jobs.
1: So then, what's the benefit if they're not? So then, included? what's the benefit?
0: Right, right, right. Then it's you, you, you feel it, you know. Then it, then it felt like charity, right? Uh, because yeah. you were giving somebody a job, just versus checking a box, in, yeah. Just checking a box instead of including them in the company, and and so you know, fundamentally, I think there's uh, you know a lot more focus for those that are trying to advance the issues. A lot more focus on uh, on on both equity, which is more outcomes driven, and inclusion, which is more process and culture driven.
1: Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. um, but diversity, of course, has been around longer as as a focal point. Um, but it's also easier to measure, yeah. and and uh, it, you know, and so that's perhaps why that's the thing you start to tie to pay. it.
1: It's easier to count. And categorize people. But one one thing that came to mind to me in the article, like there there are leading indicators and lagging indicators. So you can have a process metric or a leading indicator around diversity. Then that I think there's a lot of evidence, there's evidence and data and studies from McKinsey and others. And you can just believe that if we have a more diverse board, if we have a more diverse leadership team, we were will better reflect our customer base. Therefore, we will perform better. Then the lagging indicator, the outcomes measure, is profit. And to your point, they're already incentivized around results. Does incentivizing around a different dimension of process is it necessary, or is it doubling down on something that's the the right direction?
0: Yeah, and I think some of it's based on well, two factors: one, blind spots. Um, you know, the the ability to see. Uh, the effect on on profit and that that you know having a blind spot around that means that you're you know you might need a little extra attention the second is time right so meaning that uh, you know working on it this quarter isn't going to affect this quarter's uh, financial performance most likely and it's more about long-term performance and 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 there is a bit of uh, uh, bias towards shorter term, games, which is a whole, whole nother wall street topic.
1: Yeah. All right. There's, there's an experiment with our timer. Like this is like the, uh, the show, um, okay, stop. <laughs> this is like the show, pardon the interruption, which, which you know, yes. uh, on ESPN, they have a timer. They, they, the bell goes off. They run a little bit over, but you know, it's TV. They only have 22 and a half minutes. So they have to, uh, keep it going fast paced.
0: You have to keep going. So we'll, we'll try to honor the We'll try to
1: honor the bell. So that article and all of the others will be linked to in the show notes and the web pages for the episode here. So the second article, it's about job switchers and pay increases. Um, This is from ADP, the payroll company, that put out an article um, based on data they have. The headline reads, wage growth among U.S. job switchers, and there are a lot of them. That's just my added comment. Um, Wage growth increased 5.8% since June 2020 as businesses struggle to attract workers. And so the article talked about um, how people are changing jobs for better pay. And I think, you know, there are a couple of things that come to mind. Like one, I mean, you know, part of the headline here, businesses struggle to attract workers. Like my bias is that when I hear that, or I see on social media, a restaurant that's put up a sign that says nobody wants to work, like I add in the phrase, Nobody wants to work at the wages and the conditions this business is offering. Mm-hmm. So there are different levers the company could use to better retain and better attract, you know, to become an employer uh, of choice. So I said, well, if businesses are struggling to attract workers. It sounds like they're also struggling to keep them if people are switching jobs for better pay.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, I think there was a lot of people uh, and, and there's some data that suggests this is true. Uh, a lot of people wanted to leave, but in COVID were, uh, uh, you know, afraid of losing their mm-hmm. income or just job searching was hard because, you know, you did Zoom interviews and stuff. So they just hung out and and, and bought their time. So you have, uh, you have a bit of just like you have a pent up demand for a bunch of things. You have a pent up demand for job switching mm-hmm. uh, with natural job switching um uh people's attitudes have changed around what's important to them uh uh-huh. and the pandemic has had an effect on on, on sure. that um so so I think there's been some some and, and a lot of the jobs are harder uh for for various reasons right like if you're in supply chain and you're trying to get a hold of containers in Asia to ship stuff like your job's just harder than it ever was uh-huh. before so so there's a whole bunch of reasons. Uh, structural reasons, structural reasons mm-hmm. that will will stick around for a while. Why why some of this churn is is very very real,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you know most people, you know, when you really look at some of the underlying long term research, will not uh, consistently switch jobs for for better pay. Um, but in a market where there is shortages. Um, if they're going to switch jobs, they might as well get paid more in the process. Mm -hmm. Mm Um, and and we're seeing, uh, you know, we're seeing companies that, you know, have, you know, they have this many recs open, they, they, they fill half of them, but people leave and they're still stuck where they started. Like they have made zero progress, which, which does speak to retention being super important. Everything you can do to keep the employees you have, um, uh, should be important, uh, but, um, you know, fundamentally, you know, what else besides pay uh, are you, you know, to your point around the restaurant, like what other reasons should somebody come to work for you? Mm-hmm. Right? And that, that, that becomes a, a pretty important factor. Yeah.
1: And we're going to come back. We have another article later about working conditions in, in restaurants. But, you know, I think of this dynamic where, you know, uh, an organization, regardless of the industry, is short on staff. Um, one lever is to boost wages to attract new employees. Now, you've got to be careful about inequities between new people being paid more to do the same job than people have been around for a while. If those people start learning about that, they may very understandably get ticked off and leave and go someplace else for a wage. And now the cycle continues.
0: And, and this is like the uh, the new commercials from Verizon and, and AT&T, right? So, We're we're not just going to give better deals to new customers. (laughs) We're going to give them to existing customers too. Um, And we may, you know, when you have lots of employees, you kind of go, "Oh, we're just going to increase wages by three dollars an hour." And then you do the math, and you're like, "Times this number of employees, times this many hours, that's a that's a big shift, right?" But yeah, this is what's driving. You know, this is in part, I'll say, keeping up with inflation. Uh, Inflation's a little unchecked right now. Um, you know, central banks are, are, are going to, you know, they're, they're quite frankly, all over the map in terms of how clear they are on will inflation really settle down or, 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 or do we need to act um, right now they're not acting. So we'll see. I'll, I'll say, I'll say this also, because a lot of people will say, oh, it's just the unemployment incentives. But I, uh, you know, and, and I think there is a factor there. I, I think that's an ingredient. Uh, in terms of not being able to hire everybody you could, but we've seen countries where those have long since expired. They did the same thing, and they're still having trouble too. So this is more than just a, a an unemployment benefits concern.
1: So there are all kinds of factors, and you know and the job conditions thing includes the risks that people face, whether it's in healthcare or in restaurants or in jobs where you're facing. Um, a lot of, um, different customers, people are taking that into consideration these days. So yep. important topics. And as with a lot of things, no easy answers, but, uh, we're going to move on.
0: No easy answers. Got to keep grinding on that, on that employment. Uh, I don't think there's a single client I'm talking with that isn't, isn't looking to hire some folks right now. So
1: yep. a lot um, of hospitals are, um, Short on staff, they're bringing, you know, for increased demand, um, people leaving the profession, there are all kinds of factors mm-hmm. in this latest Delta variant-driven wave of the pandemic. It's
0: it's tough yeah, for a lot yeah. of hospitals and,
1: I, and healthcare professionals.
0: And I think, you know, times are go, going so well, you know, ever since the 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis, a lot of people are like, yeah, I don't want to retire, but things are pretty easy and good right now. Why should I? And, well, yeah. Covid hits and now there's a reason, so it's uh, you know it definitely led to some retirements as well. So uh, I guess speaking of hiring, uh, where do you want to hire from? Um, <laughs> so it's an interesting article about uh, Starbucks is the new talent factory powering corporate America, which which is interesting because there's always a fad. I'll call it a fad because it it comes and goes and it's usually not very data driven about you know, oh, I'm from this company. Well, that's an automatic plus in your column mm-hmm. on the resume. You know, GE was this for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. There's lots of ex-GE people running around. There was lots of ex-Honeywell, Danaher, Toyota. There's lots of places that you want it. You're, mm-hmm. you're almost as better off being from than at.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah. um, so, so it's interesting to see Starbucks is uh, – is is now basically at that point where you know lots of people are are trying to poach Starbucks employees at all levels, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we've we've already talked about uh, uh, Rosalind Brewer, who was COO, um, coming in to be uh, CEO of Walgreens. Mm-hmm. to you know
1: hey hey jamie jamie i'm gonna pull the end on cord and i i can do an edit You're you're really breaking up
0: okay hmm.
1: let's see if uh our internet calms down I, I i might just ask you to go back and like you could there'd be a clean starting point if you start talking about rosalind brewer again yeah but you're still
0: it's, uh yeah, i'm going i'm gonna pause i'm gonna pause sure. our
1: timer and it, it could be on my end. Um, let me do a speed test.
0: Yeah, I'm doing a speed
1: test. Testing, testing.
0: Um,
1: yep, yeah, I'm testing too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my speed my speed's fine. But there are different ways things get interrupted temporarily.
0: Yeah, and, and that's why in my office, and, and maybe I should have stayed there. Um, maybe I should at least go there next time. In my office, my computers are now Ethernet cabled in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, okay, the, yeah, I'm at 312 <clears throat> download, yeah, 14 upload. I'm, I'm about as fast as I see. Actually, yeah, I'm, but your, faster your video, your, your video,
1: <laughs> your video got a little pixely though. So something's happening.
0: Okay. Yeah. So that must, must be on my end. Um, Um, so do we seem stable now? Yeah. So let me do that.
1: And I'll trim off the beginning of this. So go go ahead and and go back to your thought where you start talking about
0: Rosalind Brewer. We talked about her before. So we had, we had talked about, uh, Rosalind Brewer before she's, she was COO at Starbucks, hired as CEO of Walgreens. I, I think it says a lot to say, we care about customer experience, which is, you know, more so than product and price was really what Starbucks mm-hmm. has been all about was customer experience. And I, you know, besides, you know, Rosalind Pruer's uh, talents and leadership uh, credentials, kind of like, well, mm-hmm. why from Starbucks? Well, customer experience starts to uh, uh, pave the way. And and so I think there there's a lot there's a lot of merit behind you know why Starbucks because they they get at least mm-hmm. that factor right. well, and I mean,
1: I think there's this question of like i'm I'm a regular Walgreens customer. It's fine. Like they're 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 fine. Like I don't know if anyone's really a raving fan of Walgreens. So I wonder, like you know, does bringing in one executive give you a fighting chance of getting that Starbucks culture? Now, they answer my own question now, I think if you're bringing in someone like Rosalind Brewer as CEO, That means a lot, but it's going to. I think it it would take time. She's got to evaluate existing culture, existing leadership, look for gaps, and you know, uh, change. Change does take time.
0: Yeah, and and especially in an organization as distributed as whether it's a Starbucks or a, a Walgreens, right? You have a lot that comes into local store management and. And obviously there, there's product and procedures and training that, 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 provides some stability across a large distributed enterprise like that, which is why you get some of the consistency that you do, but you know, I'll say this and I haven't, you know, I, I just, we already talked about my at home yeah. espresso machine. I don't go to <laughs> Starbucks anymore um, uh, for a whole bunch of reasons, but you, you can say that the consistency of delivery of experience from one Starbucks to the next is Mm -hmm. pretty solid. Um, And, and, uh, you know, I don't know much about Walgreens from that standpoint, but uh, you know, they've certainly gotten a lot of that, right. I know lean's been a part of that, but, but they started getting that right even before they, uh, they did, they did something. I think it's interesting.
1: I mean, cause you've got Walgreens and a lot of times there's a CVS right across the street. It's like Coke and Pepsi. It's like AT&T and Verizon. Right. I mean, like really how different are they? You get kind of locked into one or it becomes a habit for for different reasons. Yep. Like Starbucks, I mean, obviously Starbucks has competitors, but Starbucks is really dominant. Other than smaller chains, local they they, they don't have I, I you know, CVS and Walgreens are basically the same store with a different font on the signage. <laughs> And you know, the, right? The, it's more. They're probably more equal size. I, I'm, I'm just talking, pulling that uh thin air.
0: Yeah, I, I think, I, I think it is a very different experience, and, um, and, you know, but, but Starbucks got to that point, right? Now they, they got there quite a while ago, but, um, I think there are a lot of ingredients that, uh, that can come to a Walgreens and, and change what that is, but it. You know, it does, you know, in the limited time we have left on this topic, just the whole idea of, hey, you know, GE's good. Uh, you're from GE. You mm-hmm. must be good too. Yeah. Um, hey, Starbucks is good. Yeah. You're from Starbucks. You must be good too. And,
1: and there's, uh, you know, overlap with one of your previous employers. I mean, there were some GE people who had been very successful at GE and failed spectacularly in different companies. I'm going to throw rocks at Robert Nardelli because he flamed out at home Depot. And I don't know what you think about what he did uh, with Chrysler when they were owned by private equity, but.
0: He, he, he bombed pretty, he bombed pretty hard. Um, He wasn't the right guy. He didn't know really what he was doing. Um, And, and I think that the, 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 one of the key, and I, I look at GE people for this, and I've met, you know, I don't know how many GE, ex-GE people, but they mm. were part of an ecosystem, right? right? And, and, and if you don't know how to build that ecosystem where you show up, um, then, you know, is it like you just, you, you were successful within that ecosystem, but you go to an ecosystem that doesn't have all those support mechanisms, can you be successful? Or... Do you know how to right. build it? And I've seen I've seen people leave, you know, places like Intel that have you know lots of ecosystem Toyota. behind it. Uh, you know, to- people leave Toyota uh, and and just again flame out really really badly because they were dependent on what their organization yeah. gave them rather than able to replicate it. And I think that you know if you're interviewing somebody on the premise that they're coming from one of these big, big companies replicating yeah. what they have versus operating within it are yeah. two very And so portions. there's that
1: question of what's transferable. The final comment I'll make is an appeal to people in healthcare to please sometimes think outside the box and hire somebody from another industry. Like there's one of the Henry Ford health system hospitals in the Detroit area in, um, Bloomfield, which you you know from your time in Detroit, Bloomfield is a very upscale, Bloomfield Hills, West Bloomfield, very upscale suburb. And they hired as hospital CEO uh, somebody who had, um, I forget if it was the Four Seasons or the Ritz, but they had hotel experience. Now, that chafes the healthcare people who say, well, this is not a hotel. Well, the hospital is not a hotel, but I think there's something to be said for leadership and customer focus. And, you know, I I would be curious to see what one of these Starbucks executives might do running a hospital.
0: Yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting in the end. You know, you're not you have to appreciate the work that experts do. Uh, It doesn't mean you have to, you know, be able to do it right. Just like a, you know, a a CEO of any hospital, even Mm -hmm. if they were a doctor didn't learn every discipline, right. They might be familiar with it. They might appreciate it, but it's, you know, they, they didn't, they didn't master every little trade in the medical field. So they they, they, they mastered one and there's some underlying consistencies for sure. But I mean, sometimes the difference between, um, uh, you know, general treatment or I'll say operating room versus, Mm -hmm. you know, a surgeon versus, um, an ICU is perhaps as big a difference as between an ICU sure. and a hospital, oh, so, sure. or I mean a hotel. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Sometimes leadership yeah. is all you need.
1: All right. So the next article. This comes from HBR. The headline asks a question. We'll talk about it. When do we actually need to meet in person? So I'll, I'll add a couple of thoughts here. You know, as, as a consultant, uh, I am still not yet back on site with healthcare clients. It's been eighteen months. Um, I, I might like. There's a proposal waiting to be responded to. I might get to resume doing mainly some virtual coaching with the last on-site client that I had that was interrupted by the pandemic in March 2020. Um, but there's 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 so much in flux right now with the Delta variant and how are things progressing? Um, the 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 design of 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 the engagements to so do a lot of virtual coaching and then do one visit in person in the middle, but. You know, I I already have relationships with a lot of the people involved, which I think would tee up virtual coaching to be more successful than something that would maybe try to start off as virtual coaching. What, what 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 are you doing these days?
0: Yeah, you know, so I guess from my personal experience, um, and I, I'm 100 percent virtual, uh, remote, and and for the most part intend to be um, mm. permanently. Uh, it has nothing to do with COVID, but if I'm coaching somebody every two to four weeks, I'm not flying halfway across the country for an hour long conversation. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense. And and trying to wait and pack it all in in one day, once a quarter, doesn't make any sense either. So yeah, you know, and it's not about what's right or wrong, but for work I do, which a lot of which is is coaching executives uh, at a very you know one on one level, it, it, virtual makes a ton of sense and quite frankly, if you, if you really invest your energy into this and do it right, I mean, I have some very trusting relationships with people that I've never met in person. Um, now I am planning a possible road trip where, you know, in part it's mostly social, like, let me, let me come and have have a lunch or see you in person and, and all of that, you know, help either build or maintain relationships. But, um, Uh, but, but, but fundamentally, you know, I I think at least I've proven to myself that I can, I can build trusted, uh, engaged relationships remotely. Um, now, now that being said as you know, that's just me. Uh, there are reasons Mm -hmm. to be in person, uh, a sense of connection culture uh, is, is easier unstructured collaboration. Right. So uh, I think structured collaboration we can figure out uh, quite well. Um, But uh, in fact, some some ways doing it virtually has been better for people, for organizations. But the unstructured, the random hop in, grab a whiteboard, you know, uh, that kind of collaboration is is a bit harder. So there's definitely some benefits Mm -hmm. to being in person some of the time. But but watching companies in their return to the office efforts. Uh, which some have taken a back step, a backward step uh, due to right. due to Delta. Some have hit pause. Some are, you know, past the point of no return, essentially in terms of moving forward. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm really dismayed. I think at at how many aren't really using mm-hmm. what was learned and carrying those lessons forward. That that we're just going to go back and you know sit a bunch of people in a conference room, pop open some PowerPoint, right. and off we go. And that
1: would be a shame. Well, there, there are certain issues, whether it's in-person or virtual, uh, that come to mind. So like two organizations that I work with a lot. One is Kinexis, a software company that Jamie um, knows very well and is an investor and advisor in, uh, like I, advisor to like I am. There's Value Capture, a consulting firm that I do a lot of work through. So Kinexis does a twice-a-year annual meeting. So there's there's the day to day office life that with, that a lot of people are craving to get back to, and there will be benefits from. But then there's the twice a year meetings where we've got a team that's split mostly between Dallas and Austin. We've got some people in different places. That twice a year, everyone get together for a couple of days is important, if anything, because of the social aspect. Kinexus is growing and adding mm-hmm. a lot of people. You got, I think, you know. So when we do these biannual meetings. Nexus so I'll give a lot of credit, tries to build in fun time breakout sessions. Let's get to know each other. Let's share things. But with both organizations, and this is true even when it's an in-person meeting, I've tried to advocate for like if you're going to bring 20 or 30 people together, don't sit and passively watch people's PowerPoint updates. Like those could be recorded and shared yeah. in advance asynchronously or just share the PowerPoint. And then let's use the time together in person for – social discussion, like things that are really a lot more interactive. I keep, I keep banging that drum.
0: Well, and I, and I think, I think that's important um, to, to say, you know, that this isn't, it used to be like, Oh, this is my one chance to get in front of these people and show them something. Well, that's what email is, right? Uh, This is your sense. This is your chance to have a sense of connection, some collaboration, some culture use it for the right purpose if you're going to bother to bring people together. And that includes, you know, not just your semi-annual events, that includes your day-to-day stuff is why am I bringing people together? What am I supposed to get out of this? Um, I'll, 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 I'll just add this, 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 uh, this note is I do think some companies and, and, and we need more to, to really be thoughtful Mm -hmm. about asynchronous work and, uh, you know, how some of the stuff we used to do that that really should be asynchronous. Um, you know, my my assistant uh, Susan, uh-huh. uh, assistant and client uh, account support. Um, you know, we we meet once a week and we meet for the stuff that we couldn't figure out yeah. asynchronously. But everything else is on Trello, notes back and forth, comments, questions, feedback, all sorts of stuff happens asynchronously, and then we we really. We save the face the face to face time, even though it's over Zoom, uh, to to be uh, to, to be the stuff that requires yeah. dialogue. So.
1: I, I think either way, the learning means instead of going back to the way it was, we've got to find a new normal that's better. We should be improving the structure of meetings yeah. and all hands meetings, whether they're weekly or quarterly or biannually. Um, let's let's figure out how to do
0: it better. Please, please, please don't go back to the yeah. way things yeah. were. <laughs> That's our mess. All right. So I think
1: we've got two more so, articles
0: uh, up. Yep. So next one is uh, uh, how lean thinking and practice help put shots in arms. Uh, part one, building the process. And there's part two as well. But this is actually from the Lean Enterprise Institute talking about, you know, specific case of of really using lean to, to improve the process of, mm-hmm. of putting shots in arms, it wasn't it wasn't a um, an analogy yeah, for anything. Directly, it was actually right. putting shots in arms vaccine. in this case, yeah. which yep, which was uh, uh, you know obviously a process that had to happen. Both um, I don't want to say flawlessly because that's that's the wrong term, but had to happen sure. effectively right, more than anything safely, but also had to happen in high volume. With little mm-hmm. chance to experiment um, before, before, uh, yeah. but you know, and very little background yeah. for. But, how to yeah, do I, it I well.
1: did talk to organizations that did, even though a lot of this was um, very urgent, if not uh, like just very short windows. You have two weeks to put together the mass vaccination process. Go, um, and different discussion of should that have been such a scramble? We should have anticipated more. But um, there were organizations that did process simulations of the layout and the flow and the workstations and, and, and that was great. That was a great contribution for lean thinking. I mean, these articles from LEI, Peter Ward um, was writing about work done in his backyard at Ohio state health, um, the, the academic medical medical center affiliated with um, the hospital. And a lot of what I read there lined up what I saw when I got to do Gemba visits. Um, There, there was a site um, in San Diego where one of the people involved in designing the process was a former Toyota NUMI leader. Great process design, better results. Uh, In Frisco, Texas, the city of Frisco, which has an ongoing lean program, I provided some lean training and um, coaching um, to a couple parts of uh, city government. They have a great effort in the library. So their lean leader from the library was partnered up with local Toyota, North American headquarters, right, the next city over, um, great process design background, plus continuous improvement. I mean, the lesson I learned, as with everything, better process design meant better throughput, fewer errors, less risk of errors, more engaged staff meant the refinement, the ongoing continuous improvement of the process. Um, Even the Toyota Frisco team. Didn't design a perfect process. They realized early on, oh, there are some things we didn't realize, and that's okay. They engaged people, and they mm-hmm. did some kaizen. They did some improvement. That's how it's supposed to work.
0: Yep. Yeah, and it's it's, um, and, and I think that's that's the key. Even though this process was not meant to be a permanent one for most of right. the high volume places. Like I went to a to a dry suit so clinic. At Dorney I, I, Park. It I've been to the Dorney park, park as a kid. <laughs> been to Dorney Park, Dorky Park, we um, called it. Sorry, you know, not not <laughs> okay. Not not far from yeah, from, yeah. from my house, and and um, and and it was it was incredible. Uh, it really was. And um, in terms of the efficiency and the flow, and I didn't mean I, I I didn't even feel. like there was a couple points where I turned off my car out of out of sort of respect mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. people around me, but there's a lot, a lot of chances Mm -hmm. I had to turn off my car. I just kept moving from one stage to the next. And, and even little things where, you know, like they put Mark on my, my windshield, both uh, Mm -hmm. they put a one on it. And, um, and and then when I got the shot, Mm -hmm. they put the time Mm -hmm. on it so that the other people could know when to let me go. um, Let me leave. And, and we thought the one meant oh this is my first shot and then then i figured I out one later person um, getting a shot yeah uh-huh. met one person uh-huh. in the car <laughs> um, so that you know as they see you coming oh here's a here's a one shot car here's a two shot car um, and that you know those things help quite a bit and i think what's key is you know how much do you invest in a process um, I, knowing it's temporary I, right? that, I think that i think is is very interesting here is that you knew this was a temporary process, you knew you weren't doing mm-hmm. this for for years. So so at least, you know, I, I guess you don't feel bad that you're putting time into a process that's gonna end, but you also know that you, oh. you you have a limited time to figure this out. And you can't, you know, it's not that you don't have the money for well, the capital. You, you know well, the time. I, I,
1: the I would invest in process, I would invest in continuous improvement. I wouldn't invest in capital. Right. So you can rent tents. Right. Um, to provide shade for example but um like when i went through the drive-through at dodger stadium they did the same mark on the window because my wife came with me i drove she was in the passenger seat they marked one on the windshield um because I, I was eligible um i had a letter I, I i think i legitimately qualified as a healthcare worker i wasn't trying to be the first healthcare worker by any means but with somebody who might have to go back on site at hospitals. Um, my wife came along because it was the end of the day. I'm like, hey, if you have any extra doses. And you know, they they didn't, and that's fine. They had a tightly managed process around that. But what they didn't do was write any sort of time on the window because I was part of a batch of 10 cars was how they chose to manage it. And I saw a similar thing in San Diego as opposed to designing a process where each car could pull out in and leave when your own 15 or 30 minutes uh were up that's Mm -hmm. a matter of process design and are you thinking about like let's not keep people here longer than they need to be versus like it's a batch Eh, it's an extra 10 minutes who cares like some of that's just a matter of mindset and figuring it out
0: yeah and 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 the types of resources Mm -hmm. you had um You know, when you have more volunteers who can manage traffic than you have that can stick needles into arms, then let's minimize the work of the tight resource and and uh, push some of that work to other groups like those that are managing traffic, which, uh, again, there's lots of volunteers uh, coming forth from from within the hospital and beyond to help help with some of those. Uh, Final thought Um, I'll
1: add. I, I know you and I agree. On this, and I've done a couple. Of, I've been part of a couple of panels and given a, a presentation about uh, lean and, and vaccination. And like we knew vaccines were coming, like organizations in the U.S. might have been a little bit surprised that oh, it's coming sooner than we thought. And 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 you know, rather mm-hmm. than throw rocks at other people, like I, I wish I had been, let's say, advocating for what it was worth if I could have had an impact uh, last August of let's design the high-level process now. Like, everybody in hospitals in the U.S. and Canada was given a detailed standard work for here's how you prepare and give the vaccine. Nobody at the CDC or the American Hospital Association or the Society for Health Health Systems, nobody designed, like, here's here's what we think is a pretty good starting point for how to set up a drive-through mass vaccination clinic. Like, everybody was figuring it out on their own. And I'll, I'll give credit to the team mm. at Kinexus and to Helen Zach at Value Capture, where we did stand up some meetings so people could collaborate and learn from each other through a, a limited version right. of the Kinexus software. We did a weekly Zoom call because people were hungry to compare notes and learn from other organizations. Yep. And so like, it didn't need to be such a fire yep. drill of like, you got 10 days, go. Like, oh, we should have been planning months ago. Set the plans aside until okay now you have uh, two weeks before vaccines are going to arrive do the final prep and, and and maybe have a starting point then we could have had a lot of local innovation and then sharing of those ideas back across different organizations
0: yeah no I I, I agree so no need to uh, no need to build on that point because I'm, I'm fully yeah. on board so so uh, as we cover yeah. our last article, um, you know, uh, an industry affected to the same degree as healthcare, care, um, maybe in a very different way, uh, but, but certainly to the same degree as, as the restaurant industry. Uh, most, of course, were shut down. Many are still trying to figure out how to, how to open up. Um, but the article from New York Times is uh, restaurants will never be the same. They shouldn't be. Um, and, and this was, uh, really, um, I, I think an indictment on both internal restaurant culture, Mm -hmm. meaning how they're run, uh, but also a bit of, of customer expectations, right. And how we expectations and, 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 uh, and how we treat, um, how we treat people in the Mm -hmm. restaurant industry, uh, as, as, you know, it's service, it's not servant, um, and uh, uh, you know somehow how the customer uh, expectations and uh, reinforcement of those expectations come out and that that the industry the industry uh, needs to change and essentially is in many ways being forced to
1: change yeah and you know there, there are elements of that culture um, I have not worked in a restaurant Gemba, Um, since I was 15 years old and I worked for like two or three months over the summer at a Taco Bell. So that's at, we'll call that the low end of the restaurant spectrum. But this article from the New York times talked about Michelin star restaurants at the other end of the spectrum where abuse gets rationalized as like, well, it has to be this way, or that chef's a genius. So that's what you have to put up with or like People are so willing to put a certain restaurant on their resume that they'll they'll suffer through that abuse. And like it doesn't have to be that way. I'll be idealistic about it and say, look, it's just it, people deserve to be uh, treated well and not abused, regardless of the price range of the restaurant. And
0: yeah, yeah I mean, let, let's face it, most chefs uh, set the menu. They don't actually cook most of the food. Um, and, and so why don't we, uh, why don't we raise the bar on chefs who run a great mm-hmm. culture in their restaurant, like we do in about any other, yeah. any other field. And, um, you know, I, I think the are, I forget if this was brought up in the mm-hmm. article, I think it was, you know, the whole, whole TV show, Gordon right, Ramsay, right, I'm going to berate right. you and, uh, you know, destroy you and, and, and you're going to be <laughs> thankful because you're yes, now going to be better. For
1: (laughs) Um, whatever it is, just yes,
0: chef. Yes, chef. And, and, you know, and even the military has Mm -hmm. largely uh, discredited that as a training technique, Um, you know, not entirely, but, but, um, but, but certainly from a, from a, Oh, that's, that's how you break people down Mm -hmm. and build them back up. And, And certainly the restaurant industry has, has, Seen a lot of that, and, mm-hmm. and and talking to folks that I know, they're in. On, on top of that, the the sexism, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, which is perhaps there worse than the racism, specifically for that industry. But both are there for sure. And uh, I, you know, these are things that just mm-hmm. sort of suggest that the restaurant industry has is is a couple decades mm-hmm. behind some yeah. of the other fields of work. And
1: you know, the article talked about. Customer expectations that we maybe we expect too much for too low of a price. And then that leads to a lot of cases kind of a race to the bottom of cheapening out on ingredients, understaffing, doing things that aren't really complicated system dynamics situations where you're like, oh, okay, that's not going to be good for the business. But you know, my wife and I, I can think of cases of restaurants that we've frequented a lot and been loyal to. Like when we lived in Phoenix, Pizzeria Bianco. As an award-winning chef, uh, Chris Bianco, and like the four years that we were regulars at that restaurant when we lived there, there was like zero turnover in staff. And I'm like, to me, that's a good sign. This must be a good workplace. Like at one point, I had an idea that I was I wanted to write like a fast company article. Um, you know, like, you know, interviewing people and trying to figure out like there's there's something about the culture at Pizza Bianco. It's not just the food. And you could tell, like, well, obviously, people are choosing not to leave and people seem to really sincerely enjoy working there. It wasn't
0: um, it wasn't a bad environment. Well, and, and, and that's, you know, as far as the race to the bottom, it's, you know, we expect the best ingredient. We expect mm. farm to table ingredients. We expect McDonald's speed. Um, we expect, you know, Michelin star service. Um, you know, we expect all the ingredients at every interaction and, and, and we're, it shows we're not, you know, not, we're not willing as consumers to make trade-offs and, you know, to a degree that's, I'll say that's fair. I mean, consumers raise the bar and ultimately set, set the terms of, of competition. Um, but, you know the, the other side of it is you know if we're only voting with a with our pocketbook that's one thing right we're we're only you know choosing this restaurant over another then that's 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 the game of competition but when it comes to how we express our dissatisfaction or satisfaction um, you know I've become I'll say I'll, I've become more aware of restaurants that I think do a great job but also don't do oh. a consistent job. And am I okay with that? And, and, and that's, I'm not, you know, this is a one-off restaurant owned by one person. You know, there, there's not a corporate yeah. training center. There's not, there's not a lot behind it. It's, it's this guy in the kitchen doing what he can do and he does a great job, but it's not going to be consistent every time. Yeah. Maybe that's okay. So
1: like a lot of, industries or situations, can we choose to do business at a place that provides? Like I think of uh, the professor from MIT Sloan, Zeynep Tan, who wrote a great book called The Good Jobs, is it called The Good Jobs Principle? The, uh. It sounds sounds
0: right, something uh, along but, those lines. Uh,
1: it's The Good Jobs Strategy. Is the book? Um, ah, there you and go. I've yes. interviewed her in my Lean podcast. But like one of the companies featured in that book is Costco. Um, one of the companies, uh, gas station convenience store chain that is pretty um, uh, prevalent here in Texas called uh, Quick Trip. I will go out of my way and drive farther, not because I'm getting a decent price on the gas, but like I'm trying to choose and support a company that seems to be offering not just a good wage to their employees, but there are different dimensions of what she calls the good job strategy of, of basically being frankly, you know, just a better workplace environment. And when I, when I, but we don't know, right. So when I know about it, I can try to, um, vote with my uh, wallet, but we don't always know what's hiding behind the scenes in the kitchen.
0: No. And that's, yeah, we don't always see that. And, um, you know, for us, it's Wawa. Yeah, that's our mm-hmm. our uh, Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, New Jersey uh, um, uh, go to place. But there was a restaurant near us. It's closed since, uh, mostly because the, the owner retired. Um, but the staff was always the same staff, and and you know, it's no place that I tipped higher more consistently than there. Just because I just knew that they were they were all doing a good mm-hmm. job with what they had. And it wasn't always consistent. It wasn't even for the quality of the service. It was kind of like for what they were working with, and the the, the, the culture that, that seemed to exist there, even though it was just yeah. five people. So um, those things, those things uh, certainly have yeah. an impact. So hopefully, we can can all be more uh, understanding, thoughtful, and uh, you know, if we if we don't like a place, don't don't yeah. buy it anymore was we don't need to go raise the bar to other other ways to express yeah. our dissatisfaction well
1: i think we're not dissatisfied with uh the cocktail we made or the cafe au lait right
0: no I'm, i've uh, uh. poured a little more <laughs> in my my glass but uh <laughs> so technically on on beverage number three uh both are very good uh good conversation i i think uh uh, I, I thought, oh, we're just going to do quick hit topics. Maybe uh, this will be a short episode, but could, eh, not so much. It could be the whiskey okay.
1: talking, but we've kind of run on an hour and a half here. But well, we do that sometimes. So
0: we do the, We do. We, we do appreciate do people
1: sometimes. listening, um, as we've talked about before. I mean, you know, Jamie and I do the podcast because we enjoy it. We like doing it and talking to each other, and uh, we're, we're happy anyone listens. So thank you for that.
0: Absolutely. So a quick hit. Why don't we why don't we quick hit our closing no timer. Time question. Um, we'll keep it quick. No timer, okay. but I, I, All right. let's so, keep it quick. So, uh, so so this fall is going to be different than previous falls uh, or lat than last fall. Right. Sorry, than last fall. Last fall, very little could happen. So what are you looking forward to doing this fall? That you so could I don't not want to do jinx fall? it,
1: right? Because there's this meme going around. I don't know if you've seen it. There's the picture of like my fall plans. And then on the right, it says Delta variant. I'm like, I Sounds don't want to right. jinx it. But <laughs> I am looking forward to um, getting back to at least two Northwestern football games uh, this fall. Go to those with my dad. I see friends. We do the tailgating. I'm looking forward to that. And then hopefully uh, come Thanksgiving week, we had a trip last year, a trip to France for my mother in law's uh, uh, a round number birthday. I won't say which, but um, that trip was of course postponed for the pandemic. Uh, we we have some tickets. We we are hoping that's going to happen again this year. So fingers crossed. Let's let's hope um, COVID stays under control
0: and some international travel can happen. Great. Yeah. So. My- in a similar vein, um, I'm not a football fan, um, you know, quite frankly, uh, soccer, but, um, as probably every listener, listener ever will know. Um, but, uh, but still going to Lehigh football, uh, specifically tailgating because tailgating is where I get to really hang out with friends, uh, with most of the time, at least. Um, and so that tailgating with friends is, is, is really been fun. I've missed a lot of it from coaching soccer and, um, and so I may, you know, I may not even bother going into the game, even though yeah. we have season tickets for, for Lehigh football, uh, being able to see friends and my, my daughter's a sophomore there. So, you know, she might swing by her tailgate, probably won't stay for long. <laughs> she doesn't uh, want to hang her. out with mom and dad, probably. No effect. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of options. <laughs> yeah, So, so, uh, so I'm looking forward to something very similar. So let's hope it
1: works out. Um Yeah. Yes, sir. So we, again, want to thank everybody for listening. Um, You can find all of the past episodes. You can go to leanwhiskey.com. You can spell whiskey however you prefer with a K-E-Y or a K-Y. Those URLs will forward to my website, leanblog.org. If you prefer, you can go to Jamie's website, which is...
0: Which is jflinch.com/slash lead. So please
1: do look for us on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much all of the main places you can find podcasts.
0: Yeah, and please do rate us, review us, follow us. Uh, We really appreciate it. We appreciate the feedback, and it helps other people find the podcast. And if you've
1: listened this long, like there are metrics on the percent episode that people listen to and like we're not as long as like the joe rogan podcast i don't know how anyone listens to a (laughs) three hour long episode we're (coughs) half that long but we realize it's a long episode hopefully as a a listener you enjoy hanging out with us um, whether you're having a drink with us or not and um, we appreciate you listening and for watching so next time will be episode 30 Absolutely. Another milestone. Look forward to it. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks, Jamie.